Hi, welcome to Behind Every Employer, a podcast that explores the intersection of workforce development and education and searches for solutions to a more talented, skilled, and productive workforce of the future. Join us as we chat with employers, educators, and students who want to join that mission. This podcast is being sponsored by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education. Now to our hosts, Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. Hey, Anson, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How's it going, Jeff? It's going Hello. well. We have um, we have a really special show tonight. We put this together uh, last minute because it was so important. And I'm going to turn it over to you in a second. But I want our audience to know that, that our, I so appreciate our guests and you really spending some time to get this special episode together all about immigration and some of the things happening around the world. So, um, Anson, why don't you set us up for what's going to happen tonight? Yeah, happy to do that. I mean, we... I just felt like the other day, like this is a great platform to, for us to get some experts out uh, to talk to our business community and to our education community uh, about the things that are happening in Ukraine and, and things that have been happening around the world. You know, over the years, we we, we see these things that come up and, um, uh, you know, here right now, the whole world is watching the situation in Europe. Uh, we're just a few days, weeks in into these situations and now kind of inundated with the 24-hour news cycle. But, I mean, for me, I'm sure you, uh, probably most of our listeners, if not all of them, we all wonder, like, as individuals, as business leaders, as educators, how can we get involved? You know, how can we, uh, how will this impact our communities? How will uh, how will we need to adjust? Uh, I and mean, what can we do to really get dig in and get involved? And, you know, I'm thinking more recently about Afghanistan and the influx of refugees we saw um, over the last year and, and, and how that uh, has been rolling out across the country in different ways. And, you know, I, I just always dig down and I think like, man, uh, what can I be doing here um, at, at, at business? Uh, when I was in ESL and teaching, I was always wondering like, will these students come into my classroom? Um, how will I know? What, what should I be prepared for? So we really wanted to kind of focus today, bring in some really national class, world class experts to talk about from their uh, expert positions, um, how uh, they see things transpiring in terms of what we can expect in the business community um, in the next year um, as things roll out with Ukraine, what's been happening um, with the Afghan refugees, what happens in general for uh, refugees that come into the United States and really kind of unpack some of those things that um, a lot of us, uh, myself included, really don't know uh, the great details on. So they've been very gracious with their time. Um, and I'm just really happy that um, they've been able to pause their work um, at a very busy time for themselves and uh, kind of bring us uh, their expertise, bring our listeners some expertise uh, and, and, and come join us in this conversation. Absolutely. It's going to be a great conversation. Looking forward to it. We've been working on this episode on immigration, and it's just so important a topic right now across the country. So we want to give a shout out before we even begin and bring everybody up to speed on where we are on some things. So that's all right with you? Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, it's something that evolves by the by the hour. You know, we, we're all uh, watching our TVs and wake up in the morning and things have changed overnight. And um, I think uh, keeping this as up to date as possible is just really necessary in our time right now. Awesome. You want to introduce our guest? We'll bring her on. Yeah, let's uh, let's have Samantha come in. She's she's uh, just a wonderful ally over there at National Immigration Forum. And um, we really were scouting around for some great experts out there that were paying a lot more attention to this on the inside uh, in terms of 
U.S. policy, what to expect in the workforce systems and the education systems. And so we just love getting uh, this great subject matter expertise and updates for our listeners. So welcome, Samantha. Hi, thank you both so much for having me. So give it to us, like, where are we today? And, you know, we're at the end of April, we're kind of sitting back, we've been watching what's going on in the world. And I know it's like ever changing, like I pick up the paper every single day, and there's something else happening. And um, we want to really just inform our audience and keep them posted on what's happening nationally. So give it to us, where are we today? Sure. So I'm sure you all have seen what's going on in Ukraine um, with the Ukrainian refugee crisis. Um, so that has been an ongoing conflict. Um, as of yesterday, um, so we're at the end of April, there was over 5.2 million refugees, Ukrainian refugees who had fled the conflict. Um, about 2.9 million had fled to Poland, although there are many Ukrainians in other countries. Um, and of course, there's conversation about um, the U.S.'s efforts to help Ukrainian refugees um, seek safety in the United States. Um, so uh, also something um, very exciting happened very recently on the 21st of April, the Biden administration um, announced the rollout of a program called Uniting for Ukraine, um, which is uh, sort of a concrete plan in response to the Biden administration's um, pledge to welcome 100,000 Ukrainian refugees um, as part of the U.S.'s response to this conflict. Um, and yesterday, so a lot happened <laughs> yesterday, yeah. um, the program was rolled out online um, on USCIS uh, and DHS's website. Um, so I'm happy to talk a little bit more about the program, which is um, U.S. efforts to help Ukrainians get to the U.S., if that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it'd be super helpful. We're going to get into the podcast and we'll be digging into these issues with some other guests as well. And you were on um, when we talked about this. And I think maybe set the stage of, you know, where are we today and what's the, what's the program about? Sure. So the the U.S. refugee resettlement system is very robust, although it ha is rebuilding after um, several cuts were made under the prior administration. Um, so and it's notoriously slow there. It's a long process. It's a slow process. Um, we saw recently with the Afghanistan evacuation, the widespread use of humanitarian parole, which is um, a tool that exists um, in the immigration system to bring Afghans um, into the U.S. So um, in thinking about how to respond to the Ukrainian situation there, you know, there are only so many options, whether it be refugee resettlement, family petitions, things like that. But the most expeditious um, is humanitarian parole. It, it, it can be the quickest form. Um, so the Uniting for Ukraine program, which was just announced, um, is a way, and it's very innovative, that the, that the U.S. government is utilizing private sponsorships. Hmm. So what can happen is a U.S.-based person or um, non-governmental organization like an NGO or a nonprofit can apply to be the sponsor or the supporter, um, is the language that they're using, of a named Ukrainian. Um, so they have to know who they're right. petitioning for. And um, to sign on that they're going to financially support that person or persons um, during the length of their stay in the United States, both the supporter and the 
I'm going to call the Ukrainian person or persons the beneficiary, like the person who will benefit from this parole. Um, both will undergo vetting and background checks. Um, and then if that's approved, um, our understanding as of now, although this information is still, um, you know, forthcoming in more details, but we'll um, get approval to travel to the U.S. and then at the border, at the port of entry, um, most likely an airport, um, CBP will make a determination on a case-by-case basis to admit them in humanitarian parole status for no more than two years. If someone's admitted um, with humanitarian parole, they are then eligible to apply for a work permit. Um, So as of right now, the work permit is not incidental to status. They're separate um, processes. Um, And then the supporter will be in charge of um, helping, you know, that person um, integrate into the U.S., whether it's to find employment or English classes if needed, things like that. So it's separate from traditional refugee resettlement. Got it. That sounds super cool. Like, how do you, um, how much would it cost to be a sponsor? Like, could I do it? So um, my understanding as of right now is that there is not a fee to be a sponsor, but um, again, that could change, but that you would have to demonstrate um, financial resources in order to support however many people um, you're applying for. (laughs) Um, So private individuals can, um, as can um, organizations, Um, But just, you know, recognizing what actually goes into that and sort of the duration of that responsibility. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, thinking in terms of like the workforce and, and, you know, uh, ESL side of things, the adult ed side of things, like, you know, when I'm looking at, you know, what I see on the news and stuff, you know, my immediate thought is like, you know, this is a long term gambit for these individuals, you know, like they're their towns are destroyed. Um, but is there better intelligence on like what we believe these refugees will want to do in terms of returning home to rebuild? You know, it's a different, it's, it's a different climate perhaps, you know, depending on uh, the outcomes of, you know, certain areas of the country and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, it's different than, you know, they're never going back, which you see in some refugee situations. Um, so what is, you know, you know, the kind of the intelligence on the ground that you're picking up, you know, knowing that that's better than what Anson sees watching TV and making assumptions like what, what's your sense of that? Sure. So I think that's a really good point or a really good question. Um, Humanitarian parole is designed to be temporary. Um, So a two-year increment. Um, Similarly, TPS, um, Temporary Protected Status, was designated for Ukrainians who are already in the United States. Um, Also a temporary um, form of immigration protection. So the intention right now is that these are temporary um, protections. And unlike refugee resettlement, which is, you know, this idea of permanency where you can come as a refugee, um, you know, obviously different cases of different situations. But generally, once you have one year of residence in the United States as a refugee, you can apply for your green card. And then once you get your green card five years later, you can apply for citizenship. Um, humanitarian parole does not confer any of those benefits. So there's no pathway from humanitarian parole directly to a green card um, or even citizenship. So there are likely going to be people who have family members that can apply for them through the traditional family um, applica- uh, the family petition process. And they're 
might be some or many who apply for asylum. Um, but the as of right now, the intention is that it's temporary and that people, um, Ukrainians will, um, many will be interested in returning home once, again, it's hard. We don't have a crystal ball to know how long this conflict will last and what right. post-conflict reconstruction looks like. Right, right. Excellent, excellent. Wow. So is this what, is this, uh, is this a victory? I mean, is this what we, what we, a best case scenario, what we would want to see, or should we be advocating for something more? So I think it's a really great step. I certainly think it's an innovative way to respond to a humanitarian emergency that our immigration system is not as agile as many advocates would would hope for. Um, it's not a permanent solution, um, and it's a solution only aimed at this conflict. Of course, there are many conflicts around the world that this protection has not been extended to, but I certainly think it's um, a it's a it's a, a really solid step and can offer protection for, for many people. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, great stuff. You know, thank you so much. You're really helping us frame what we're going to be talking about for the next 45 minutes, which is really about the immigration issues that we're dealing with in our country. And I think in order to understand it better, we really know where, need to know where we are today. Mm -hmm. And we'll be talking to you more during the, the podcast <laughs> uh, about immigration, not only from Ukraine, but across um, all our borders yep. and as, as people come in. So Thank you so much for taking some time just to bring us up to speed. So we're in context. We're in good space now. Anson, I think we're ready, man. I think we're ready to, to dive in, dive deep, yeah. and, and really start talking about this issue. I've got my notepad ready. This is going to be good stuff. And uh, I'm so thankful for the update here because, like I said, it's just evolving so fast. And, you know, our systems want to be ready uh, to respond and so getting this information from you has just been uh, really nice to have that just-in-time feedback. Thank you. Thank awesome. you. You're listening to Behind Every Employer. We're going to be right back. Hi, welcome to Behind Every Employer, a podcast that explores the intersection, workforce development and education, and searches for solutions to a more talented, skilled, and productive workforce of the future. Join us as we chat with employers, educators, and students who want to join that mission. This podcast is being sponsored by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education. Now to our hosts, Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. Um, you want to introduce who our guests are going to be and we'll pull them on? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, just real quick here, uh, we've brought together, uh, I'm going to let them kind of talk a little bit more about their expertise and what they do, but we, we've brought individuals from two major uh, organizations, the National Immigration Forum and Upwardly Global. And these are uh, really well-known uh, organizations in our community. So we have Helena Korik who is the Senior Manager for Integration Programs at the National Immigration Forum. And she really focuses on, on kind of the new American workforce citizenship program and um, supports the Corporate Roundtable, which is something uh, I want her to talk more about. I sit on the Corporate Roundtable and I find that is a, a really enlightening group of businesses that the National Immigration Forum has coalesced together to kind of talk about immigration issues. Uh, she's gonna be joined with uh, by Samantha Howlin uh, Zalana, uh, and she's the Vice President of Policy and Advocacy at the National Immigration Forum. And she really works with um, these kind of advanced immigration reform issues um, related to unaccompanied immigrant children, immigrant courts, uh, enforcement, and the undocumented community. So together from the National Immigration Forum, they're gonna bring us some really sharp kind of uh, policy focus about like, how does this impact our workforce and how will this impact our communities? 
Um, they both have some great deep background too. I was very impressed by their backgrounds in immigration law. So um, they're going to be joined by um, someone that uh, I've always enjoyed working with, uh, Jenny Murray, who it's kind of a family gathering here, uh, an old home week, because Jenny used to work at the National Immigration Forum, and now she's the vice president for programs at Upwardly Global. And she, this organization is just a really enlightened organization when it comes to uh, targeting and working on kind of a nationally recognized job coaching and skill building model that really seeks to help immigrant and refugee job seekers and connections to corporate partners around the country. So she's going to bring again, another sharpened um, focus on what businesses can do and what they can be expecting and, and what they do as an organization to help support that community of new immigrants. Uh, Jenny comes in with just years of experience uh, in the private sector and uh, public sector as well. And I, I think uh, I just want to thank them for their time coming um, at such a busy time for them and join us on the episode. Hi, everybody. Hello. Good to be here. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and get started here. And we'll start with some introductions. You guys can talk a little bit more about your organizations. But can you please give our listeners who probably you know may not be familiar with the National Immigration Forum or Upper Global um, a little bit about um, what you do. So first, we'll start with Samantha and Helena and and talk about the, the forum and what is the focus of the forum? And what are your roles at the forum? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having us. Um, we're really excited to be here. So um, the forum is a nonpartisan national advocacy organization that works with um, different constituencies and coalitions um, to build trusted relationships to advocate for immigration reform, um, where immigration is seen as a really strong and important part of our country and the United States. And we engage through um, constituencies, primarily we call them the Bibles, businesses and badges, where we work with um, different law enforcement, um, different religious organizations and businesses to achieve um, immigration reform through advocacy um, and different direct work um, that Helena can speak a little bit more about. Excellent, excellent. So, um, yeah, let me ask a, a drill down on one thing I mentioned in the intro, but the, the National Immigration Forum Corporate Roundtable, I sit on this, but tell our audience, our listeners, more about the roundtable and how does that inform your work? Yes, thank you, Anson, and thank you for your uh, involvement on Corporate Roundtable. Uh, so our Corporate Roundtable for the New American Workforce convenes the nation's uh, foremost corporations to, to really develop and implement uh, best practices for immigrant inclusion at the work site um, and advance that legislative advocacy initiatives um, to support these new Americans, uh, a lot that Sam does on her team um, on policy and advocacy. Um, and our objectives uh, on the table really include um, collaborating among uh, membership to strengthen um, the, the workplace for the foreign born. Um, we are working on advocating for pro-immigrant policies and programs. Um, and then conducting research to really support employers um, and their immigrant workforce. 
And we do this through different activities, um, quarterly meetings, uh, best practice sharing at these meetings, uh, coordinated congressional meetings where we have corporate representatives um, join us and the forum puts that together, um, business briefings on certain hot topics, um, advocacy assistance, um, and our membership uh, is um, part, a lot of diverse um, companies have joined. It's co-chaired by uh, Chobani and Walmart. Um, and we have membership from um, Best Buy, Driscoll's, just to name a few, um, Bank of America as well. Um, and all these companies come together on uh, many different initiatives, whether it's sign-on efforts, um, public comments, uh, really to kind of capitalize and get those voices on these key um, uh, integration issues. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I sit on several business groups uh, and I have to say, this is the one that uh, I, I just feel like I I get the most out of, but I also um, feel like I'm really contributing to this group also in terms of like finding you know, cool ways to put us to work, which is really what businesses want to do when they get involved in, in uh, organizations and business groups like this. Um, I, I want to ask you one more thing, and then we're going to get to Jenny and talk about Epically Global. Um, but uh, And I'll be real transparent about uh, my, my knowledge of National Immigration Forum before I came to Tyson. Uh, as you guys probably know I'm very involved in adult education and workforce development across the nation, but I had really only knew the name of National Immigration Forum. And as I dug in, as, as our listeners could hear, this organization um, really digs in and does all kinds of really unique areas. And one of the ones that um, uh, I just felt like could not believe I had never really uh, heard about this is the English at Work program that you also facilitate the National Immigration Forum. So this is an ESL, online ESL program um, that, I mean, as soon as I got introduced to it, and like I said, late to the game, um, I just really felt like how on earth had I missed this? But tell us a little bit about English at Work, because I think this is really unique uh, offering that you have from the National Immigration Forum. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that is one of our integration programs that we offer at the work site. You mentioned um, the remote model, uh, but we also have um, in-person options depending really on um, company needs. Um, and this is a solution for limited uh, English proficient employees really looking to improve their communication skills at work. Um, and then for the companies that are looking to upscale this workforce and really retain and promote that diverse workforce. Um, and the forum through this program really pioneered this uh, specific industry contextualized uh, blended model and curriculum. Um, we partner with accredited uh, community colleges to deliver this curriculum um, in person or remotely. Um, and every cur curriculum is original um, and really contextualized for that industry. Um, our it, in, industries span, um, you know, anything from retail and grocery to manufacturing. And what's really, really critical with this program is that our team is proactive. And we're really there from the beginning to end um, as far as implementation, implementation support. Um, and there's no added workload to the company um, in implementing this opportunity. Um, they're just you know, promoting uh, the, the program. Um, and then when we ha have candidates on board, we really deliver everything from um, beginning to end with a very structured um, program. Um, and that 
proactive support that we're providing learners uh, starts at onboarding to even a graduation ceremony. And so when they complete um, this uh, program, they receive our certificate of completion from an accredited college. Um, and we've really seen through the thousands of workers um, that have been uh, supported, how they've been able to um, improve their job uh, performance, um, really develop that critical confidence they need um, and be more satisfied at their jobs. And of course, um, this has resulted in retention um, and even promotions for um, our the employees that we partner with. And even we have employees um, asking uh, when the next class is um, and really, really excited. And it's spreading sometimes like wildfire um, throughout the workforce because they hear right. um, from their uh, colleagues about the uh, resource. Absolutely, absolutely. I, it, like I said, it was just totally unknown to me. And 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 this, you know, for our for our adult education audience and our education audience, um, this is kind of a, a a really robust system that sits aside our federally funded system. You know, and and it just shows where um, community based and and uh, other organizations are getting involved here with colleges integrated working with businesses to tackle the English as a second language issue in a really exciting, compelling way. So uh, definitely in our show notes, um, we're going to talk about how you can uh, take a look at the, Eng uh, the English at Work uh, website as well as National Immigration Forum. But uh, I don't want to uh, 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 move too much further down the line until we hear from Jenny and Upperly Global. So Jenny, um, uh, we are so happy to have you on. You're, like I said, it's old home week for you with your National Immigration Forum colleagues and and half the stuff they spoke of i'm sure you probably had your fingerprints all over or started yourself so tell us a little bit about um upwardly global as an uh, an organization that's just so active on so many fronts and uh and what you do there and and a little bit about uh, uh and we'll get to more of this uh later on here but more about how you're working currently with the afghan uh, refugees that have come into the united states in the last year yeah, thank you, Anson. Yes, it's so exciting uh, to hear about these incredible um, opportunities offered by the National Immigration Forum. So I, I plus one on all that amazing work and hope folks will will dive into this amazing organization and the programs that they offer. Um, yeah, Upwardly Global is a really unique organization. We really seek to fill a key niche uh, or a chasm, really, um, between three fields. So there's a um, traditional workforce space, there's a traditional immigration space, and then a traditional refugee resettlement space. And there's a number of folks um, who uh, do not have interventions specifically tailored um, to ensure that their barriers are, are met um, in those in those spaces. Um, I, I come from all of those backgrounds, and so this is not a critique. We all know we have limited resources, and we're all trying really hard to leverage opportunities. So that's not, that's not a criticism. It just happened to exist. There's over 2.3 million folks who um, have advanced education and advanced professional backgrounds um, and have migrated for different reasons to the US and are unable to 
um, find their career pathway opportunities to re-enter a professional career position and be able to use their skills. We all know that we desperately need them too, so that we, um, as as workforce, as communities, um, and 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 other entities can function at our highest level. Right, right now in the four cities where we have offices, there's a three million. Uh, surplus job um, gap, right? Where we we yeah. can't fill key roles. That that's just mid to high skill. That's not even the entire spectrum. And so we know we need these individuals to be able to use um, all of their um, all their their skills and to plug in. Um, and so that's why our organization was developed. We've we've scaled beyond that work, but our direct service work is really tailored at. Um, offering uh, job coaching, professional networking, and skilling to come alongside um, job seekers who may be working already and are looking at how can I now come alongside in parallel and work on my professional development. So that's our direct service program and happy to drill in more when we get into the Afghan response because there will be a, a lot of that work. But we've also now taken the 23 years of experience that we have really tailored to serve this population. And we've now begun to scale those efforts um, through a platform that we call Jobversity. And we partner with states, municipalities, um, workforce boards, community colleges, NGOs, and others. Um, and, and soon, very soon, employers actually with that platform to be able to come alongside and give um, the resources that we've developed for immigrants and refugees to have what they need to really enter the U.S. job market and um, to be able to live into their professional development goals and their professional pathways. And so this is everything from, you know, if you're from Ethiopia, you've never negotiated a salary in your life or received a job offering you graduate college and go straight to the professional setting. So it's everything from the cultural pieces that come with the U.S. Um, job market all, all the way to upskilling and reskilling opportunities like through partners such as Google and Microsoft that we work with, really giving technical and hard skills to folks so they're they're ready to enter. So we have the, all of those services. And then a third bucket um, that we use or that we uh, we use to reach this community and scale these initiatives is our employer engagement work. So we have 155 companies um, sitting on a DEI working group. And what we've really done with this group is, um, is to help come alongside a lot of the corporate DEI initiatives and um, help encourage employers um, to think about including additional practices for um, uh, immigrants and refugees who are often people of color um, and are often left out of those initiatives. So really help to develop best practices and work together to come up with great models that we can use to, um, to scale these efforts. So we do that also hiring and training and a number of other employer engagement initiatives that we can that we can get into down the road but those are the three main ways um that we seek to support immigrants and refugees in this wow, i love it I, I love the law the 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 wide reach you you have it upwardly global and i i mean you mentioned something that you know I, I think it will resonate with our employers as well as with our education community but you know the cultural kind of competency of finding a job in america is just as difficult as like having the english words to apply and interview for a job um, and you guys do so, that so well that uh, I, I just think it is such a gap 
out there uh, in terms of really helping people compete for jobs in the labor market. So thank you very much. Uh, I, I just love everything both these organizations do. Uh, and I really want to get into some questions here. And uh, it's it's funny, you you kind of helped tee things off for us, Jenny, because you, you said DEI and uh, NGO. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to get into some terms here now. Uh, <laughs> diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I think a lot of our employer partners will know that. But that's a term that's not widely used in education still. Um, sometimes, you know, they're still kind of getting into their own spaghetti bowl of, of terminologies in the education sector. But I wanted to turn it over to National Immigration Forum and kind of take us to school for a little bit in terms of talking about uh, some of the terms that our business community and our education community are going to hear when they start thinking about, especially our businesses' employment. Um, I really want to think about like unpacking some of the terminology. I mean, there's a lot of it out there, but I hear things like temporary protective status, special immigrant visas, even the term immigrant versus refugee, humanitarian parole, family petition. Can can uh, can our friends there at, at the uh, National Immigration Forum help us out here um, and, and tell us a little bit more about some of these key terms that we're going to hear uh, in these conversations and what they mean for our business uh, listeners out there for sure. Sure. I think it's great to start off with the sort of alphabet soup of immigration. And these terms are in the news um, very frequently. Um, so I'll go through some of them. Um, and then I'm sure Helena or Jenny can add um, if needed. But we can start off um, sort of, I hope most employers are familiar with the work permit, which is officially called the Employment Authorization Document, an EAD. Um, so on that is what category um, an immigrant or refugee is eligible to work under. Um, so there's different categories based on different immigrant immigration classifications. Um, refugee, which is um, mostly what we're talking about today, um, uh, there is a legal definition of a refugee, of a person who is no longer in their home country due to persecution because of um, their race, nationality, religion, um, political opinion or membership in a particular social group and that they cannot go back to that country. Um, so while millions of people throughout the world do meet that definition, not all of them are legally designated as refugees or admitted into the United States as refugees, and um, which we'll discuss a little bit further um, with the Afghan situation. Um, there are certain benefits that refugees get that immigrants do not. Um, special immigrant visa, there are several special immigrant type visas, but the one I think that um, is most commonly heard now in relation to um, the refugee situation in Afghanistan is a special immigrant visa for Afghans or Iraqis who helped um, the U.S. military or the U.S. government during um, the military efforts in those specific countries. Um, that is a pathway to a green card. Um, it is a multi-year process. Um, humanitarian parole, very um, commonly heard during the Afghan evacuation. Um, it's a form, it's a discretionary form of <clears throat> immigration status for someone um, for urgent humanitarian reasons or in the public interest of the United States. So um, a majority of Afghans who were evacuated were admitted or allowed into the United States via humanitarian parole. It does enable um, someone to obtain a work permit or an EAD, um, same thing. And it's just not permanent. Um, and it's not a pathway to a green card or more or um, 
uh, lawful permanent residency. Um, a family petition, um, the U.S. has certain um, categories of family relationships that they um, allow people to apply for family members. So children over 21, U.S. citizen children over 21 can apply for their parents. Um, U.S. citizens and green card holders can apply for their spouses and certain children. Um, there gets to be um, different questions if the child's married or over or under 21, um, things of that nature. And then siblings of U.S. citizens can all file family petitions. Um, and there's different waiting periods based on the category um, and in some instances, the country where someone's from. And then um, another um, term that's in the news frequently, especially in relation to Ukraine and Afghanistan, is um, an internally displaced person, um, abbreviated as an IDP, which is someone who essentially meets the refugee definition, but is still within their country of origin. So maybe they lived in the eastern part of the country, now they're in um, the western part of the country or in some sort of IDP camp. Um, I'm just checking if I've answered all of, I think those were all the terms that we went over. Um, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's very useful. I mean, uh, I, I and also uh, I I want to put in our show notes maybe some places where it would be good resources that uh, we could send our employer partners to to, to kind of find these terms uh, on their own. I was taking notes myself during all this, learned a lot there. So we appreciate it. It gives us some good kind of foundation to frame some of our uh, questions about um, involvement. And and so I want to move to uh, a question about. Uh, I, I know employers want to be involved in possibly hiring and supporting immigrants and refugees. Um, and uh, I really want to kind of hear from you guys in terms of um, how businesses can get involved. Uh, it's a, it's immediately right now, it's a very tight labor market. Businesses are looking for uh, uh, workers uh, and they want to help uh, individuals uh, find their footing in America through employment. Um, and uh, I know for some of these workers that may be uh, down, you know, downstream uh, in terms of the events that are happening today in Ukraine. But I know it's you know currently happening, of course, with the Afghan refugees. And there's just kind of this sequence of services and things like that that are happening. But having worked in this before, I know sometimes, especially for the uh, individuals themselves, it's it can be very fast moving. Um, so what are some activities uh, aside? Let, let, we'll get to employment, but I want to know what other what are some, some things you see businesses doing right now um, related to the Ukrainian uh, population um, that uh, they're getting involved in, in you know, creating advocacy and creating awareness? What are some things you see that businesses are doing to kind of jump in now, maybe knowing that these individuals may arrive in the States later and become eligible for employment? But, but what's happening right now? Uh, in terms of our uh, Ukrainian refugees and how businesses are involved. And I'll turn this over to the National Immigration Forum first. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, so some of our actually members on our corporate roundtable have been pretty active in some of their um, involvements to this particular crisis. Um, and the way that companies have responded has been mixed. Uh, there's been a lot of financial support um, where companies have um, been pledging aid, uh, whether that means, for example, Starbucks uh, donating um, any of the royalties from their business operations in Russia. 
um, or um, just pledging support to different relief organizations uh, to get um, basic needs addressed, whether it is water, shelter, food, um, and then also thinking uh, in terms of long-term support and different resettlement agencies. Um, so there has been a lot of financial support from companies like Bank of America, for example, um, uh, donating a million dollars for Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian relief efforts. Um, Airbnb providing um, practical support in uh, as far as making available um, free temporary housing uh, for up to 100,000 um, refugees from Ukraine. Um, and then some of our organization, uh, some of these companies really using their particular expertise, um, Google, um, making sure to supply more um, UN resources related to being a refugee, um, or Microsoft, for example, um, really um, ramping their efforts up as far as uh, detecting and um, advising the Ukrainian government on cyber attacks. Um, Meta, formerly uh, Facebook, uh, really zeroing in on fact checking and stepping up um, on privacy and security. Um, and then you look at some uh, company like Uber. Um, I just read today they are offering unlimited um, rides from the border um, to different cities in Poland. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that companies um, have been getting involved, also through their foundations. Chobani um, uh, has an or a tent um, uh, or organization. I think that Jenny will touch on later, um, but just the way that they are able to use their expertise and then their connections um, to other organizations to really uh, respond to this crisis. And to also make sure that if they are directing funding, they're doing so to vetted um, organizations that really specialize in this work. Um, you know, it's one thing to just donate online um, to a cause that is very important in the news, but um, companies really zeroing in on, you know, Red Cross, um, UNICEF, some of these right. really big um, international organizations that can make a difference and that know these populations. Uh, I, I love that. It warms my heart to hear these stories. I love the I love the angle too of you know sharing their expertise um, because that's something, of course, businesses uh, can do very well and finding ways to contribute that way. Uh, and, you know, I re recently read the article in the business chief about how businesses were kind of stepping up to the plate. Your your CEO, uh, Ali Norani, uh, had a great article uh, in the Bulwark this week, I think, um, uh, about how uh, communities were mobilizing uh, during the crisis. So I just really, really um, uh, love to hear this early on um, and, and knowing that, you know, down the line, uh, there could be the employment piece that we're we're going to be looking at. Um, uh, as an opportunity to, to, to give more. So Jenny, I want to move over to you and uh, talk a little bit more about Upwardly Global and what they're doing in the areas of uh, refugee inclusion. Uh, I know you have been just really spectacularly busy across the nation with a specific focus on our, uh, on our prior and ongoing focus with the Afghan refugees. So please talk to us a little bit about how business and educators are contributing to these efforts. What are you doing? Uh, you were involved very early on, I know, and uh, it's just got to be um, uh, somewhat uh, almost an overwhelming effort sometimes with uh, the urgency we had uh, facing us there and mm. uh, how quickly uh, things moved. I was just so so impressed. But tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, thank you for that, Anton. And, and Helena, I think you did, uh, had that great list. Um, so it's really wonderful mm -hmm. to hear, um, you know, some of the ways that, that companies are using their resources. And I and I hope we are all together learning how to be ready for, to your point, Anson, for, for the hiring side when this hits. There is a movement right now, though, that is available. I want to make sure we don't skip over this. We do have on our own job seeker list, we do have Ukrainians that have already migrated. Some of them began to feel the tensions and migrated over the, the course of the last year or so. And, and everyone knows tensions have been rising since Maidan in 2014. So there are Ukrainians who are work authorized, who are looking uh, to be employed now. And so I wanna make sure we don't skip over that. There's a great right. population. And the TPS, um, the Temporary Protective uh, Status folks. Um, thank you for calling me, reminding me to, to get out of the alphabet soup. Um, but those group of folks that were here as of March 1st, uh, we estimate there's over right 75,000 of them. Those folks will be almost pretty immediately eligible for work permit once the Federal Register um, gives us uh, gives us the date and the process for them to do their applications, right? So that's coming down the pike very soon and we'll have a large group of folks. So employers can begin to learn from from our Afghan response moment and, and start to align now. Um, the Afghan response, we are, um, we are just winding down on the evacuation. So we're in the last 3,000 folks. Um, Upwardly Global, um, Upglow, if you want to shorten it as a friend, you, you can say that. Um, uh, we have been on all the safe havens, so all the military bases throughout the country since the first week of evacuation, processing job seekers and putting together a national workforce development plan. And I really urge employers, if you're not yet plugged into the welcome.us um, movement, definitely get into that coalition. It's super important. And I have a feeling that this is the roadmap for anything that we do. Uh, you didn't hear it here. I have nothing official to say, but it could be a roadmap for what's going to happen as we begin to assist um, our Ukrainian neighbors. Um, and and as we have a designation of number of folks that will be resettling. So it's a great coalition to go ahead and plug into now. You can join the Afghan movement now. But what we've done is we've begun to process those folks and work with partners. Um, the refugee resettlement orgs and ourselves um, sat together and put a, a, a group of services together to be able to say we can help job seekers from, um, from the person who's never worked before and doesn't speak English yet, all the way to the MD who um, speaks five languages and is looking to uh, looking to continue their career pathway because we need everyone in that spectrum. And so we're working collaboratively together. Some quick stats that might be interesting to employers is that um, of the working population we met, so just a reminder of the 95,000 there's about 40,000 that are children. So of the working population, 20 to 30% of those folks um, are English proficient, have professional backgrounds and advanced educational degrees. Another 40% are English proficient and align more, um, had backgrounds aligning more to the trades. So together, this is an incredible group of folks um, that employers can and should be tapping into. Right, that's an over 60 um, to 75 percent English proficient population, 
And um, the English at Work program is an incredible thing you can be doing. You can partner with Upglow. Um, we have trained uh, all the recruiters at Walmart. We've trained a number of hiring managers and recruiters, Deloitte and others, to really be ready to know how to um, interview these job seekers and understand how they then enter the job market and um, and how to be ready to integrate them. So. So, um, so we've put that whole plan together and we've been working collaboratively. So employers can hire um, Afghans still now. In fact, this is a perfect moment to be plugging into that because folks have pretty much um, resettled and some of them have, have chosen a secondary resettlement site, which means they're probably going to settle there long-term. Um, and so we're really starting to see Texas, California, Washington State, um, the DMV region um, and the New York um, and New York and the New York City region really beef up with a ton of Afghan newcomers. So employers can and should um, start to hire and look for programs to help them. Um, you know, you can also really um, lean in um, with um, other types of integration opportunities and blended workforce opportunities. We've seen some incredible returnship models and paid internship models to really help this population plug in. Returnship is just a fancy term that means someone who's left the work site for any um, any reason, uh, women who left during COVID because of caretaking situations um, and migrants who have um, moved to our country and naturally have a period um, that's dropped off their resume. So it's it's a it's a way of saying that we won't hold these gaps in employment against you, mm -hmm. but we will look uh, to you as a key uh, segment of our working population. So there's a lot of ways that we can learn from this Afghan moment, and uh, employers can plug into and in, plug into some of those opportunities. Wow. So, Anson, is... I got to jump in because yeah. I've been sitting back listening, and um, <laughs> so I'm in awe. This is above all all the expertise that's on tonight. And it's the workforce, I think, that most intrigues me when it comes to immigration. And Jenny, you touched on a few things about, you know, reintegration and getting people back to work. And it's really the simple things, you know, that I think we often overlook, like getting a bank account for direct deposit mm -hmm. and having the proper identification, right? And, you know, all those little things that, um, that really get people back and successful and reintegrated. Um, peer mentorship. Um, just mentoring um, other people in the workforce and those kinds of things. And, uh, and I'm glad to hear that there are companies like yours that are out there that are really guiding that and guiding employers. Because I really think oftentimes employers just don't know where to go. You know, they have someone that comes to them that has some talent and they definitely have skill set. Matter of fact, they may have been ultra licensed in their home country, but when they come here, they, um, you know, they go to apply for that job and then they want to get them in, but, you know, they don't have that license yet, hasn't been transferred and they haven't got to work through that part and really getting them into the workforce. And yeah. I'm curious from all of you, like that integration piece, um, the programs that you have, um, you know, are how can employers really access those tools and really um, find out how to um, how to do a service for the, the talent that's out there? Yeah, I could jump in and then I would love for the forum to add, they have incredible integration um, pieces. So, you know, uh, employers um, can reach out. I think either of us would be really, really happy to help navigate. This is a small um, world and we're all working in the same direction. Um, you know, Upglow comes alongside businesses that are hiring um, in the mid to high skill range, but also businesses 
who are looking to promote internally and continue to move um, their own talent along through their career pathway and really look at that retention effort. So, um, you know, integration's huge, inclusion is huge for all of those reasons. And so um, folks can reach out um, There's uh, to ourselves. There's also an organization um, called Tent, which Helena called out, uh, which Hamdi, who's the CEO of Chobani, um, set aside and and um and created as an organization to help navigate traffic if you reach out to tent you'll get to us um or um, one of our partners um but you definitely uh can reach out directly and um and we have technical assistance providers who will work with your company to say what are your goals what are you trying to get at what are the resources you have available and um if we are not the right program we certainly know uh the couple of folks out there who might have a perfect fit and and that's all we're to do together is just to integrate as integrate newcomers so it's a great question jeff i mean folks can reach out um it's not such an enigma right it sounds so it sounds like a lot to say what can i do to support these folks but really it's just as simple as having a focus on your own in points in hiring, um, in retention, all of that. And then just coming to say, this is what I'm looking to achieve. I really want to support my folks. How can I be doing this in the best way possible to walk with immigrants and refugees through this journey? So um, certainly I, I, I don't want to speak for the forum, but you can. I know you can reach out to um, us and, and they might have more things to add. I got one more follow-up and I'll be quiet. Is um, English as a second language is, um, you know, I'm um, secretary on the board of Kuwait, the Coalition on Adult Education. And we look at English as a second language and it's just so underfunded in our country. And I'm just wondering in your work and the work that you all do, um, how important is that, that language education and what efforts do your organizations make to try and make that language connection um, back here in the United States to English? Helena, did you so, want to? Yes. Yeah. yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yes, so um, I mean, it is critical. And, you know, when a um, new American, a new immigrant um, has that grasp and understanding of English, um, it opens doors, uh, that confidence. So, really um, partnering with companies, um, uh, partnering with foundations um, to offer um, our services uh, potentially at reduced costs until the uh, companies are ready to um, invest in the program after they have piloted it. Um, we've really seen um, the tremendous impact of the growth um, of the um, employees. And, you know, the, the first person. Um, that many times the company really decides to partner with us on some of these programs is because they hear about the experience from their own employee. They see that growth um, where they maybe worked on in, in the back end of the store and now they have that confidence to approach customers and work um, in front because of that promotion, because of being upskilled um, through a program like English at Work. Um, so it really, um, we're, we're looking at all different ways um, to continue that pro the, the program um, and different funding um, and support that is out there and that will hopefully um, arise in the future. Awesome. Anton, I know we got to take a break for a minute. And um, I also just want to give a shout out to Jenny. I know she's going to be, she's got another commitment. She's going to be jumping off in a second, but I did want to thank her and, um, and uh, you know, for your expertise and your passion and the work that you guys are doing is so invaluable and it's going to be so needed 
over the next uh, over the next few months to years um, here in the country. So um, you're listening to Behind Every Employer, and we're going to be right back in a minute. You've been listening to the Behind Every Employer podcast with Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. This podcast is sponsored by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education. Check us out on coaid.org, on the Coaid YouTube channel, on Spotify, Facebook, or Instagram. We are back minus one. We are back. And a big shout out to Denny for taking some time out this night. Her expertise and her passion for our company is amazing. We're going to definitely put all the information on our website about where you can find her and how you can connect with her. Yeah, I wanted to chime in. Uh, This has gotten to be way more dynamic and awesome than I was anticipating in terms of what I'm learning. So it's just been fantastic from all of our speakers. One thing Jenny said um, that uh, I I definitely want to underscore when she was talking about um, the uh, refugees from Afghanistan was the kind of the, the skilled breakout, you know, the high skilled internationally trained professional percentages she gave us those that were English proficient, but had background in the trades. And so for our business partners, I know they're thinking, wow, this is like a great workforce that um, that we can you know, tap into and, and we should be tapping into. Um, and, and so th- that's, a, that's a big lesson learned is organizations like this are helping kind of do that vetting and help un- identify like the skills of these workforce, of these uh, individuals as they come into the U.S. And then, you know, thinking to our adult education uh, listeners, our ESL teachers out there that are listening, you know, when I was in in a classroom and had refugees and immigrants, uh, I always felt like I was the only one kind of working on an island. And so it's so nice to know that there are these other organizations providing these supports and it's about weaving these services together um, to really help because because it definitely takes a community to help uh, individuals new to America to kind of find their footing. Um, so it's just been really kind of encouraging uh, and, and empowering to hear these things in action that are happening. And then as we think, you know, forward, and I want us to kind of uh, think about our next question here real quick for the National Immigration Forum team related to uh, looking into a crystal ball with uh, the Ukrainians and um, what, what, what might we see in the future here? May it be the same? May it be different from what uh, Jenny is experiencing uh, and you guys experienced with those individuals from Afghanistan um, as a way of kind of prepping, um, although we're still kind of, you know, heavily in the in the weeds when it comes to the refugees from Afghanistan. This is kind of the next wave and it's on TV and we're thinking about it. Um, but do we can, can we look into a crystal ball with any certainty that there would be some differences in uh, either how they may be treated, you know, in terms of like their, their the policies they fall under? Or um, do we just know maybe by trends that uh, maybe not that many uh, would come to the U.S. Um, as we saw with the Afghan refugees? Do we do we know anything like that or is it just pure guesswork right now? Um, that's a great question. I can give some of the framework for okay. um, statistics um, and the, the immigration side of it. Um, but just for context, which I think is really helpful, um, this is one of if not the fastest moving refugee crisis. Um, there, as of yesterday, um, I was on a call with UNHCR and IOM, that there's 3 million Ukrainian refugees, mm-hmm. so meaning outside of the country um, within 21 days, and there are about 2 million 
um, IDPs within Ukraine. Um, so that is a incredible number, of course. Um, and this particular refugee flow um, has really unique and acute vulnerabilities. Um, the majority are women and children, um, and either single women or women with multiple children or unaccompanied children themselves, because men ages 18 to 60 are generally um, not allowed to leave Ukraine because of fighting reasons um, or need for fighters, except for certain exceptions. Um, so just that's like sort of the scope of where we're at. Um, and of course, there are questions as to um, do where do Ukrainians want to go? Are there family ties to other countries um, in surrounding countries or throughout Europe? Um, is there interest in going to um, you know another country such as the United States in terms of resettlement? Um, the refugee resettlement system is um, a slow-moving <laughs> system, and it. Um, you mentioned the article that um, the forum CEO wrote um, where it really does discuss that the uh, the U.S. refugee re, uh, resettlement system had been um, pretty much dismantled um, under the prior administration. And there, the forum has advocated, as well as many other organizations, to revamp it even before this crisis. Um, I think it's really important to note when we make comparisons to Afghanistan that um, Afghanistan was somewhat different in that it was a evacuation um, timed with the U.S.'s own evacuation, and none of these um, ev Afghan evacuees were admitted as refugees. So they did mm -hmm. not go through the traditional refugee resettlement process. Um, it took, um, you know, an act of Congress to um, allow them to access refugee benefits. Um, normally, if you're if you enter with parole, you're not entitled to those benefits, such as cash assistance, matching grant for employment. Um, some of your employers might be familiar with that program. Um, so. Of course, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't anticipate that there's going to be a similar mass movement of, you know, I think there's about 70,000 Afghans that were um, admitted into the United States in this evacuation program. I, I don't think we anticipate that. Um, it might look more like traditional refugee resettlement, perhaps expedited if if that's, that is something we've heard the administration is considering. Well, the changes, and you know what, we're not, we're not ready um, in our country. Just think about it. The, um, the repercussions of what's happened in Ukraine are so different because um, oftentimes the dad or the, the, well, the male in the family is not going to be with them. And it's often been the breadwinner. And now daycare becomes a huge obstacle, yeah, right. you know, providing that daycare for, um, for the children that are um, the parents that need to go to work and, and earn a living. So I think the challenges are going to be really kind of different as, um, as this unfolds and as um, some of the Ukrainian refugees find their way to the United States. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that was that was super enlightening just then. Um, I had a sense there was going to be some differences. This is way more dramatically different. Uh, and I, 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 Jeff, I definitely would underscore uh, that gender mix is going to be so much different that that really pulls on different sectors of our public systems in terms of subsidized childcare and things like that, as you mentioned. Um, and having worked in those systems before, I don't think they're following stuff like this, you know, doing the capacity building. These are public uh, welfare systems and things that that take years to kind of ramp up for things. Sometimes we're talking about things that are happening in, in, in days and weeks and months. Uh, and this one has really been accelerated. Um, I want to end before we get to our lightning round with one more question, because um, I, I don't want to talk as if there, there, there weren't refugees from Ukraine in America now. And I hear there's 
uh, maybe up to 70,000 or so. Um, and, and I heard somewhere on the news, uh, a lot of them clustered in, uh, I believe, in Ohio and some other places. Um, tell us kind of right now, National Immigration Forum uh, colleagues, um, what can you tell us about that population um, in terms of uh, uh, their work status um, and, and things like that? Sure. So the American Immigration Council um, and when advocacy organizations such as the Forum were calling for um, Ukraine to be designated for temporary protected status, um, did put out some information about statistics um, and they they estimated about 70 to 75,000 Ukrainians in the United States could be eligible for temporary protected status. Um, in that there was a mix. Um, some Ukrainians within that estimation were on um, non-immigrant or temporary visas, such as a work visa or a student visa, something of that nature, um, uh, where they might already have work authorization or not. Um, about 5,000 were estimated to have DACA, um, which is the Dream Deferred Action for Early Childhood Arrivals, where they generally have a work permit. And about 34,000 didn't have an identifiable form of status. Um, So that doesn't mean they don't have status. It just means that they couldn't determine it. So maybe they were on a tourist visa or their status had lapsed, something like that. Um, And of course, as we mentioned earlier, TPS would enable a work um, permit if someone is approved for TPS. Um, And I think, I don't know if Helena wants to add some of their um, demographics in terms of education and former employment. Yeah, yeah. I know Jenny earlier mentioned um, how we saw in the case of Afghan refugees, um, some might be professionals with higher education or very strong English skills, and then others may need um, that upskilling um, and that ESL to really be able to find and retain employment. Um, so it's really, really important that we're cataloging their their needs, their skill set, and then ready to really mobilize um, quickly. But from that same um, American Immigration Council um, batch of statistics, what we've seen so far from the 75,000 um, that are currently in the country, and of course it uh, remains to be seen and when all the data is crunched and as um, new people actually come uh, to the U.S., Um, But what we know from the people that are currently here is that around 44% have high school um, or college level degrees um, and uh, uh, 21% have advanced degrees and 28% uh, have bachelor's degrees. So a very small percentage, around 6% um, has less than high school. So that kind of gives you an idea of um, their, their experience. Um, and then as far as industries, um, it's really a mix of um, health and social assistance at around 13%, construction also around 10%, um, administrative support 11%, um, and then tourism, hospitality uh, 11%. Um, and then the really there's a 41% of other. So it really remains to be seen where uh, those people fall. And then of course, um, any new um, uh, refugees that come into the country. Uh, So we're all kind of, you know, looking into that crystal ball, trying to figure out um, what's going on, but that's what we've been able to determine from um, previous um, statistical analysis. Wow, Wow, this is amazing. I I, I can't wait to listen to this podcast again, because I can't take notes fast enough for some of the statistics and data. It's just fantastic. You guys have been such great guests. I know we're going to move to a quick break here, and then we're going to get to our lightning round. 
Um, so uh, hold on tight, and we're going to come back and charge our two guests here with uh, them charging us with some things that we could be thinking about as and our listeners could be doing to kind of prepare uh, for the current uh, situations now with our refugee communities and uh, think about the future with potential uh, individuals coming from Ukraine. So, Jeff, take us to a break. We'll be right back. back our lightning round absolutely so i want to uh samantha and uh, helena this is our lightning round we want you uh to charge us uh, charge our listeners really with uh things that we could start thinking about in terms of getting prepared uh in the months and perhaps year from now um but really maybe even immediately um for those employers out there that are looking to hire refugees in their communities we just heard these great statistics about the current uh, Ukrainians and Afghan uh, refugees that are in the states now and, and of course other groups that have been here but uh, charge us uh, charge our listeners uh, with what can we do now to kind of uh, look at think about plan for talk to well, what would be some uh, really t- uh, tangible next steps for our listeners to take mm-hmm. um, I think really this podcast has really shown that importance um, of language access for um, the Uh, refugees that are going to be coming in and that are already here, the immigrants and refugees from other countries. Um, It's also not a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, We can analyze the Afghan crisis, we can analyze this Ukraine crisis, um, but at the end of the day we need to talk to those people that are impacted and the organizations that really excel and specialize um, in this work um, and also in those unique populations. Um, There are some things that um, I think kind of go across the board for um, incoming immigrants or refugees, and that is connecting them um, to their local community, whether that is through churches or just some way to help them um, integrate until they get that job, Um, whether it is a, you know, nonprofit uh, organization or just someone who can get them started. I know before we had talked about opening a bank account, um, really simple things like that so that that they can get um, acclimated because the people that are um, fleeing and looking for new homes um, are going to have experienced uh, various levels of trauma. And um, that transition period is really, really important for the employer to understand um, and for that community that's going to be welcoming them um, in. Um, so if there's anything you know that uh, people can take away after this is really um, that one size fits all approach is not the way to go with um, immigrant communities, but there are certain things that if you're you're just being a human um, that you want to offer um, and and welcome to new people in your community. Absolutely. I love that. You know, I, I, I think sometimes these just real uh, practical things, the bank account um, of for the work we do over at Tyson Foods, you know, uh, and I'm thinking about the future here in the summer, but getting kids enrolled in school and, you know, figuring out all those kind of things, which sometimes you and I can't figure out, you know, um, there are these systems that we just have to navigate ourselves. 
um, for those new Americans coming in, um, it, it can be quite an additional challenge. Uh, Jeff, for you, do you have a, a, a charge for the listeners? Yeah, out there? I, I have a, I have a charge. So my charge is this, um, every one of us has these old set of dishes down in our basement. We have our children's old clothing that's up in our attics. We have all these things that are sitting around and those are the things that can make transition so much easier when people come over to our country. So go into your attics, go into your basement, start stockpiling, put a note on, make sure it finds its way to a refugee family that's coming over. So that's my charge. Oh man, I love it. I love it. Well, this has been a great episode. Samantha, uh, Helena, and Jenny, um, who who uh, was on previously, it's just been a joy to hear your web, uh, your insights. And, and I want to ask you, how can our listeners connect with you and your organizations? Yes. So um, our contact information and a lot of really great um, fact sheets from uh, Sam's policy team are available um, on our nationalimmigrationforum.org, uh, um, as well as additional information for employers interested um, in our English at Work program um, or uh, the citizenship program that I work on, and then uh, employers that are interested in joining our corporate roundtable. Um, so we can definitely share that in uh, the notes. Um, Absolutely. Afterwards. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, thanks again for another great episode. Why don't you take us out? You got it. Take care, everybody. And thank you. You've been listening to the Behind Every Employer podcast with Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. This podcast is sponsored by the Coalition and Adult Basic Education. Check us out on coaid.org, on the Coaid YouTube channel, on Spotify, Facebook, or Instagram. Right. Fantastic. Well